Praise God, we are in the book of Luke. We have been going through all these different chapters. And today, as we are in chapter 14, um, you know, every time we come into these, these chapters in the book of Luke, and I'd say, oh, you know, this, this is tied to the previous things that we talked about, and, and here's what it means, and so on. Uh, and, and in particular, I've been talking about the fact that in these passages in Luke, we have looked at a number of truths that are related to the kingdom of God. And the reason for that is that Jesus said that he was ushering in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God came with Jesus coming into the earth. And it will be fulfilled, it will be consummated when he returns to the earth in his second coming. But we are living in that kingdom period already. It's not just that we're waiting for the fulfillment of it and the new heavens and new earth and so on. We are called to live in the kingdom of God today. And so we have talked about the power that is available for us in the Holy Spirit. We have talked about the revelation and the truth that is coming to us because of the kingdom of God, because Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. We've talked about who we are in the kingdom of God as his children, as citizens of the kingdom of light. And we've talked about being empowered by the Holy Spirit in that role as his citizens and as ambassadors to be messengers of this good news of the kingdom. And then we've talked about last week about the kingdom growth, how it grows. It grows slowly, but surely. And we are recipients of God's work that causes the kingdom of God to grow. If the kingdom of God had not grown from that small group of disciples in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, if it hadn't grown since then, we would not be here ourselves. But because the kingdom of God grows like that little mustard seed that grows into the large tree, like the yeast that permeates throughout the dough, we are here. We're able to rejoice in the Lord. We're able to say, God, I thank you for life that you have given. I thank you for the growth that we have. So this, this morning, we are looking and another aspect of the kingdom of God, where Jesus speaks about the wedding banquet, about this heavenly feast that he is going to have with his bride, with his church, with the body of Christ, when we are united with him for all eternity as he returns. Now, next Sunday, on Pentecost Sunday, May 31st, we're going to go a little bit out of sequence and we're going to go into Acts chapter two. Hannah this morning in the call to worship gave us a little preview, but we're going to go into Acts chapter two this uh, next Sunday and we will speak about Pentecost and what it means and what happened on that day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was being celebrated well before that that particular event that took place that's recorded in Acts chapter two, but there are some truths for us to learn and, uh, and understand, and so it'll be appropriate, it'll be timely for us to consider those next Sunday. You don't wanna miss it. So if you're joining us online or in other ways this Sunday for the first time, I invite you to be with us next Sunday too as we look at Pentecost. This Sunday, as we look at Luke chapter 14, I'm going to read a number of the verses. I ask you to follow along in the Bible. And as we do that, I am reading from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. 
There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if any one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Again, this is a similar story to what we've read before in other chapters in Luke, where Jesus is being scrutinized about what he will do on the Sabbath. And in particular, he heals on the Sabbath and points out that this kind of deliverance, either from a spirit of infirmity from the, for the woman who was held in that way for 18 years, or in other ways in which he would just manifest the power of the Lord, he is letting them know that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And then, the word continues in chapter 14, verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet or previously invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, 
everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So this morning, as we're talking about this kingdom feast, this idea that uh, we are called to a wedding banquet that is being prepared for us or that is, that is representing that union, that wedding that takes place between Christ and the church, I want to draw out from this chapter a few key points about what we need to do to be prepared for this wedding banquet before we can participate in this heavenly feast, before we can be participating in this wedding banquet, before we can be identified as the, the wedding guest in that context, in the kingdom of God, before all of that, we need to have a few things take place in our life. And the first thing that we read from this passage is that we have to be humble. From verses 7 through 11, we are seeing how Jesus is speaking about not seeking the high place, not exalting yourself, not saying, oh, I should be placed over there in that honor, in that seat of honor because of who I am. And he is talking about being humble. We become proud when we don't see God and therefore others, and we don't see ourselves correctly. When we think too little of God and others, and we think too much of ourselves, we become proud. We think we are something. We're God's answer to this world. You know, and we think too highly of ourselves. We've spoken about this in previous times where we, where we were touching on these topics and ideas and, and the fact that we need to be understanding our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ keeps us humble because we are not where we are because of our own capabilities, our own goodness. We are where we are because of the Lord's goodness and what he has done in our lives. So when we come to him, we have, no, we have nothing in which to boast of ourselves. We say, Lord, you have done all this for me and I thank you for it. But when we don't have that identity, when we don't see who we are in Christ Jesus, when we don't understand what he has done in our lives, we become proud. We think it's because of our goodness. We think it's because of our actions. We think it's because of our giving. We think it's because of our, how we pray. We think it's because of the gifting that the Lord has given us. We think it's because of how we preach. We think it's because of our ministry. We think that it's because people are saying to us, oh, great job, you did a good thing. And we get puffed up. We can get puffed up because we know something and knowledge can puff us up. But in all those ways, it's this pride that comes into our heart. You know, the Bible makes it clear that the devil's fall was essentially because of pride. Because he 
wanted or he desired or he thought that he could be equal with God. And isn't that really what our pride leads us to? To think too highly of ourselves and to seek supremacy over even God or the things of God. And so the devil, the Bible talks about the devil falling because of his pride. And then that original sin in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, we think of it as the disobedience. They disobeyed what God told them to do. But really, if you think about it, it was essentially a sin of pride. Adam and Eve listened to the devil's lies of how they could be equal to God. And they said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's what we need. We're, you know, we're, we should have that status. And that pride caused them to then disobey what God had told them. So pride is, is a, it's, a, it's an ancient sin. Pride can creep into our lives when we least suspect it. And sometimes it can be when we have a false humility about our lives. We think we're doing the right things. We think we're actually being quite humble. And we say to ourselves, I'm so proud that I'm so humble. Isn't that really what's happening when we allow false humility to also be in us? It may not be blatant pride. We're not arrogant. We're not dealing with somebody in a, in, a, in a disrespectful way. We don't try to get our way. We're not proud about our background and, oh, I come from this family or I do this. We don't say things like that maybe, but sometimes there can be a false humility in us where you're even not able to receive a compliment. If somebody says, oh, that was a good job, you don't know how to respond to it because you're actually not giving glory to God. You're thinking of yourself. And so he's, oh, it was nothing. It was nothing. But in fact, in your heart, you're saying, yes, thank you. I'm really glad that people are recognizing me. Or you receive some criticism. Somebody criticizes what you say or what you did and you get all offended. Why? Because you thought too highly of what you were doing. If we are dead to ourselves, if Christ is living in us, we'll be able to receive a compliment and say, thank you. I appreciate that. It is, you know, the work of God in me that has led to this. It is this work of the Holy Spirit. When I could not stand in all these ways, the Holy Spirit did this for me. The Lord has done this for me. That's the reason that I'm able to stand in this way, speak in this way, act in this way, do all of this. And we're able to receive the compliment appropriately, but we're able to give glory to God. And if somebody criticizes us, we don't get offended. We're able to say, well, I receive what you're saying. I, I may have made some mistakes in a couple of these things or what I did, and I look to correct that. But if there's anything else, I, give, I, I, I turn it to the Lord Jesus. You know, I, I know that he's the one who has given me this word to share or has given me this life to live or this act to take, action to take, and I trust him. So in all these ways, in whichever ways that pride or false humility or other things can affect us, the impact of the world around us, the impact of our own flesh and our desires, and the impact of the devil lying to us. I encourage you that this be an area that you really pay attention to. It's an insidious sin. And the Bible speaks about the Lord detesting pride. You know, and as you look at this, in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 to 2, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? 
And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Those who hide the word of God in their hearts. Those for whom they have a fear of the Lord. Who understand what God has done and who he is. And the awesome nature of God's power and his character. And because of that, we are humble and contrite in spirit. We tremble at his word. We stand to be examined by his word and by his spirit. And we say, Lord, I thank you for what you are doing. These are the ones that the Lord looks at with favor. And throughout the Bible, throughout these times of prayer and our times in the word, we've seen that the Lord looks for that attitude of the heart. And, you know, the person that exemplified all of this in the greatest way was, of course, Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We've been talking about this and praying about this, to have the mind of Christ. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you desire for your loved ones to know the Lord? Do you desire for your friends to know the Lord? Well, the Lord who humbled himself, who went to the cross, who was then dead and buried and raised again, and who has been exalted by God himself, he has already done it. You don't have to do anything. In order for your loved one to come to the Lord, you just need to point them to Jesus, the one who has already been exalted. It's not your eloquence that's going to bring them to the Lord. It's your direction. It's your pointing. It's your pulling them to say, hey, look at Jesus. He has been exalted. And he, because he's exalted in these ways, will draw all men unto him. So we have that example. We have that charge to be humble. The second thing that Jesus points out in this passage, in verses 12 through 14, is that he says, serve others without any ulterior motives. Don't give them something so that you can get something back in return. Don't call them to your house so that you can have them call you to their house. Don't do things with that reciprocal kind of mindset, right? I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's not the way that the Lord is calling us to serve each other. He's saying if you're preparing for this wedding banquet, for this feast, to be joined in the kingdom of God, you can't do it with this mindset where you say, first of all, I am higher or I am better than you. And you certainly can't do it where you say, okay, I'll do this, you do this for me, and therefore this will happen. You certainly can't do it with one another, and you certainly can't do it 
with God. You can't say to God, God, look at all these things that I've done for you. Therefore, let me gain entry into the wedding banquet that you're preparing. Let me be included in this kingdom feast. Lord, I, I'm, I deserve to be included. I deserve to be invited. Why? Because I've done these things. So this, this idea of doing something to get something back is what Jesus is speaking against. And he's saying, look, when you give, give without expecting something in return. Selfless service and generosity of that kind that Jesus is speaking about is rooted in true humility. That humility that we're talking about when we say be humble, that extends into this action of not seeking to be rewarded, reciprocated based on our actions. We can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I give freely. I give without expecting something in return because of what you have given me. Freely I have received, freely I can give, I can share. And that allows us to serve others to reach out to them, to help them to know the Savior without any kind of ulterior motives. We're not trying to bring people to the church so that they can somehow build us up. We're not trying to do something for another person so that we can look good, so that we can say, hey, I brought these many people to the Lord. No, we want to serve without any ulterior motives. And then in verses 25 to 35, I'm jumping down just a little bit in the chapter. And when you go to verses 25 to 35, Jesus is speaking about counting the cost. He's saying, be willing to give up everything for the sake of following him, for the sake of following Jesus. You have to be willing to say, everything is, everything is done. Everything is given away. Everything is God as the owner owns it anyway, I as a steward, I'm willing to let go of everything. And so what he gives as those examples, he says, before you start the construction, know what the cost of the construction is. Before you go to war with your enemy, know what the strength of the enemy is. Before you cast out that salt or not, know what the role and the value of that is. There is a need for us to understand the cost. Now, Jesus paid the price for us to be redeemed, for us to be saved. But we have to, in our daily lives, in our actions, in our responsibilities, in our relationships, we have to count the cost. We have to say, what is it that I'm investing in? What is it that I'm giving my life to? What is it that I'm doing regularly? How am I paying out my life? And how do I live my life? What do I consider as valuable? What do I consider as worth it? If I don't invest in the right things, if I'm not counting that cost, if I'm not measuring these things appropriately, I will not give the right priority to the things of God. I will be involved in all these ways that we just talked about in this chapter. Now, you'll find here that Jesus is speaking, and, and by the way, in every single analogy, every single parable, there's a particular point for us to understand, and there are things in it that don't apply as such, right? So clearly we're not speaking about going to war, or we're not 
you know, we're not literally building a tower. And so the principle that he's talking about there is that we would count the cost. We would understand. And then I want to come back to verses 15 through 24, because this whole idea of this wedding feast, this kingdom feast, is hinged, is dependent on accepting the invitation. The people who gave excuses, they were actually invited initially. They received an invitation and they had, from all accounts, said, yes, we're coming. But when it came time for the supper and the servant was sent out to say, now the supper is ready, come, they made excuses. They made excuses about their finances. Hey, I've done some things here bought stuff, I'm selling stuff, I'm doing things, I'm, you know, investing in the stock market. I don't have time. I can't come to what you're calling me to. I don't have time. They have occupational excuses. I'm, I'm busy. I'm active. I'm traveling. I'm doing these things. I'm on a business trip. Uh, I, and again, I'm not saying you may not be on a business trip and may not be able to do something that the Lord's asking you to. I'm saying, what is the priority? What is our activity? Where do we go? And then family excuses. Oh, I just got married, you know, so I certainly can't be participating in church. Um, we make excuses. Now, in and of themselves, these actions are legitimate. We have activities. We have to take care of finances. We have occupations. We work. We do things. We have family. We take care of our spouses or we're engaged in activities with our spouses. Or we're taking care of the children. We're doing things at home. All of them are legitimate. However, if they become higher priority than the things of God, the kingdom of God, this righteousness of the kingdom of God, that's when it becomes a problem. But when you come back to these notions of the acceptance of the invitation, you see, those that were previously invited but did not prioritize that final day. We talked about this in, con in the context of saying, be ready. Be ready. You don't know when the Lord will return. But when he does, be ready so that you're not having to get ready at that time. You have already received an invitation. You have already had the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life to say, accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And I praise God that you have responded to him. But now, in between that time when he has told you that you are invited, and now till that time when he says, hey, come now. Now is the supper. Now is the feast. Now is the banquet. Come. Be ready. Prioritize. Be prepared so that when that call comes, you go. You respond. That is a, call, that is a statement and a warning that is given for children of God. For those who know God, but when he calls, are not ready. The Bible speaks repeatedly of these kinds of situations. So I pray and I challenge you that once again this morning you would be reminded afresh to be ready. And then you know in the, in the way that Jesus speaks about it in this parable, now the, the owner, the master, 
gets angry and says, go and invite all the other people that are just on the street. You know, just go into the highways and the byways and call them in. And the servant says, oh, we call all of them. Then he says, just go get all the lame people and the blind people and people who don't have anything at all. Just bring them all in. And, you know, that speaks about people who did not hear about Jesus. They did not know. They did not respond. They did not come to him. But in these last days, even for those that did not have that history, they didn't have a history in the church. They didn't have a history in the Christian family. They didn't have those backgrounds. The Lord's call is going out to them. And so when we get to that wedding banquet, it doesn't matter whether we had all that legacy that, that uh, passed, we will be sitting there at that wedding banquet along with those who just got responded to that final invitation. Who, when that servant went out and said, come on in, the supper is ready, come on in. And they responded, we'll be right there with them. So when we speak to people, encourage them. It doesn't matter whether they didn't have a background in this. Now, when the time is here, when the opportunity is available, when the door is still open, respond. The call is going up. Come, come, come. In these days, let us be ready and living in such a way that we are ready for Jesus' return. Which brings us to this point of response, that this morning, we will say to the Lord Jesus, Father, we want to be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb tomorrow by living humble and measured lives today. We want to live in humility. We don't want pride to dominate and to take control of us. We want to live in humility. And as we live in humble ways, we want to live in measured ways. We want to calculate the cost. We want to know what we're doing. We want to live in very deliberate, intentional ways. We want to listen to the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way, walk in it. And we take that right step and the left step, that left foot. You know, we, we put that, that, our feet into the footsteps of Jesus. We don't go to the right or to the left. We walk in the path that is set before us. We run in the track that is set before us. We persevere. We live humble and measured lives today in preparation for this marriage feast. So this morning, as a point of application, uh, there are many different things that the Lord may be speaking to you through this scripture. And I encourage you, go read the whole chapter again. Uh, go read the whole book again. Go read you know, the, everything that the Lord would prompt you to be reading. Read it. But I want to come back to this point about pride as a point of application for us this morning. And I'm encouraging you, ask yourself, what am I proud of? What am I most proud of? Is it my background? Is it my education, my degrees? Is it my accomplishments at work? Is it what I've done in some other what am I most proud of? Is it my children? Oh, I'm really proud of my children. What are you most proud of? What do you boast about? What do you tell? What, do, what, do you, what are you eager to tell people about? You know, Paul says, I don't boast about anything 
except Christ and him crucified. The only boast I want to make is of what God has done for me. So as you evaluate, as you examine, as you say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, just very humbly I come to you, I yield to you, I submit to you, and I say, Holy Spirit, you reveal to me, what am I most proud of? What do I look to have as primary in my life? Who do I want to have as primary in my life? What am I boasting in? And then you pray and you say, Lord, bring me to true humility in this area. True humility, a humble and contrite heart in the sight of God. Not false humility in the sight of people. Not even a false humility that deceives me, that I think I'm a very humble guy. But no, Lord, a humble and contrite spirit that you see, that you will say, this is what I'm looking for. And you would pour out your favor as you see that in me. And then look for opportunities to be humble. This is a dangerous prayer, by the way. If you say to the Lord, Lord, give me opportunities to be humble. God will answer that prayer. And there'll come all sorts of things, all sorts of stuff that instigate, that provoke, that make you say, hmm, how come this person is speaking to me like this? And why didn't they listen to me? And all sorts of stuff will come up. But look for those opportunities to be humble, to yield, and to let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. As we do that, as we turn to the Lord, as we, lay, as we say, Lord, I want to be humble before you. Oh, the Lord works in us. Because the Bible says that he is preparing his bride for that banquet, for that wedding feast, for when he returns. He is causing his bride to be spotless and without blemish. He is the one who is cleansing and purifying his body, the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ. These are the ways that the Bible describes us. It's a very apt image. And it is a wonderful reminder to us that the Lord desires for us to be transformed into his image. Jesus, that example of true humility, He's looking to transform us into that image. So he's looking to remove all this pride from us. He's looking to cause us to be living as Jesus did, who, who was willing to go to the cross, who was willing to sacrifice because he was yielded, humble. So this morning, I encourage you that you would respond and that you would say, Lord, I want to be in that wedding feast. I look forward to being in that heavenly feast. I thank you, Lord, that I can come to you and be joined to you in this way. And so, Father, prepare me. Prepare me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, your word is always so wonderful, so apt, so powerful. And we thank you, Lord, for this reminder this morning that, Lord, in order to be participating in that heavenly feast, in that wedding banquet, in that marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, when you return, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be humble. I thank you that you have called us to count the cost. I thank you, Lord, that you have, Lord, worked in us and you have given us every means 
by which, Lord, we can be prepared and are ready for your work in us. I thank you, Lord, that we can, because of that humility, we can serve others without any ulterior motives. And I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for every single person who is listening to this, who has accepted the invitation and is now being prepared for your coming. But I pray, Father, for every single person who has not heard your word, who has not received this good news of the kingdom of God, who doesn't know that there is a feast awaiting them. Lord God, I pray that every one of us would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to take that good news of the kingdom to those around us, to our loved ones, to our neighbors, to our colleagues, as you give us opportunity to humbly share with them what you have done. And Father, I pray that many, many, many people will respond, that they will come into the kingdom of God, that they will accept this invitation, even in these last hours, Lord, that they will accept this invitation to be a part of this feast, this kingdom feast. We thank you for that, Lord. We look forward to it with great joy. We thank you, Jesus, for binding us together in the power of your word and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your promise that you will return. We pray all this together in Jesus' precious name. Amen.